first, though, I want to have a brief discussion here about an interesting piece that I read in the conversation uh, by Sibo Chen talking about, and we've heard this, right, when we've seen what's happened with um, Russia-Ukraine, the situation there, and the fact that a large part of Europe is heavily dependent on Russia for energy, um, and our Premier has been very vocal and going around and speaking in the United States saying, listen, this is what we're talking about. He's called it, you know, Alberta's ethical oil. The fact that we have human rights record, environmental standards, all these sorts of things. We have, you know, the Americans running off to places like Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and asking them to increase production when and Premier saying, hey, what about us? And he's not alone. There's other people that definitely make the case that, hey, Canada can step in and, and handle some of these. Now, the question that comes down to is the ethical oil. And we've had guests on debating whether or not Alberta has ethical oil. And that's a discussion we're going to have now. And then in terms of how what it means to us overall. So we're going to chat now with, as I said, Sibo Chen. Sibo um, has written this piece. He is an assistant professor in the School of Professional Communications at Toronto Metropolitan University. Sibo, um, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an interesting discussion because I think there's certainly no consensus on whether or not um, it's ethical oil. Depends who you talk to. There's the proponents who say, you know what, take a look at Alberta's ethical oil, and other people that jump up and say, wait a minute, Canada's oil isn't ethical. Mm -hmm. And do you think um, when we talk about this, this discussion, our premier has a point when he goes out to these other countries and says, hey, um, Al- Alberta, Canada can can fill this role and do it in a way that we can perceive as ethical. Um, I would see, um, you know, I, I know, you know, we are talking about this in the context of Alberta, right? And it's definitely, you know, we should begin the conversation by acknowledging that is a contentious topic. I think the problem really goes down into the fact that, first of all, you know, let's look at, you know, where do we export our oil at the moment? And second of all, if we are talking about, you know, before even going into this kind of ethical issue, right, the second point is that do we have the capacity to actually break right. production? The third point is that when you talk about, you know, the potential locking impact of that, right, because, you know, oil is a very kind of investment-heavy industry. Yep. Basically, that, you know, if you are building new infrastructure, you are looking for, you know, locking a huge amount of public money for decades. I think that's all the question before, you know, a simple answer for, you know, this is ethical or not, right? Because, again, in the in the long term, thinking about, you know, the debate around energy, right? I think a lot of the debate, people forget that any direction cannot happen overnight. Exactly, exactly. And, and as you say, there's a lot of different elements and components that go into this. In the piece, you talk about whether or not Canada is being pushed in the direction of a petrostate. There's some people that say Canada already is a petrostate. How do you define petrostate? I think it depends, you know, the way that, you know, the scholarly literature defined petrostate is really kind of assessing the impact, let's see, the energy sector have on policy making. And, you know, my analysis, I would say, you know, I would actually feel that I think clearly the, the impact of petrostate is very pronounced in, you know, provinces like Alberta and Saskatchewan, but maybe to a less extent, you know, to the federal level. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't Clearly, I think I, I think you know the point I want to make within that argument is really kind of raising the raising the the big question. I think we should have a, a very you know again like this is actually all of the articles in conversation for right. We should have a very serious con- conversation about you know you know to what extent that you know we need. I think there should be a more kind of national discussion about you know a collective 
a collective conversation on, you know, what's the future of the energy sector should be, especially, you know, thinking about all of the commitment that we already made during the during COP26, and thinking about the long-term plan for, you know, decarbonization. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. It's really, it is a fascinating discussion because like you say, I mean, a lot of different pieces go into it. But when you look at it, there's basically two competing um, perspectives on this, but the government needs to be recognizing and playing a part in both of them, right? Because economically, it is so important. It has become such a mm-hmm. huge, especially in Alberta, but nationally too. But at the same time, you say, as you say, we have these these climate targets and these climate goals. Can those two both live together? Can can it be done in a way that everybody says, okay, this makes sense? It can be done. Like, actually, appro- approaching the end of the article, actually, I read the point about, like, this actually, a lot of you study that too, right? So yeah. Norway, which in many respects, very similar to us, right? It's a smaller country, but also it's heavily dependent upon oil. And, uh, you know, and it's also make a very firm commitment. And people would actually see it's actually way faster than us, you know, to actually in the decarbonization process. And one of the major ways they do that is, you know, they are directing a lot of the, a lot of this kind of economic benefits they're currently collecting from the energy sector into renewable, into other sectors. And, also, you know, going slightly back to, you know, all the debates around the petrol state, one yeah. of the reasons that people kind of strongly go, especially for uh, policymakers, they kind of warning about, you know, the downsides of petrol state is the outcome of petrol state is really that you, you end up building a economy, which was basically kind of trapped in this kind of boom and bust circle where we all, you know, let's see all the primary commodities, including oil, there their prices are high, you know, you have a really kind of enjoying an economic boom. But that's also make you structurally very vulnerable, right? So yep. if actually the market went source, that would happen over the past few years, then, you know, you are going to struggle. You do not have a more kind of diversified economic structure to handling the market changes. And, uh, you know, given we all know about, you know, the way Alberta energy export structure is, is that we were basically very trapped into that kind of boom and bust circle. And I think that's actually goes back to the to the point, right? So to have a, what we call a robust economy, it, it needs actually more investment into other sectors as Norway has did, right? Norway also depends upon the energy sector at the moment, but they are redirecting a lot of their public money into other sectors. I think that's actually the point, you know, people are trying to make there. Um, so finally, is Canada doing a good enough job? What should we be focused on and how can we sort of, like you say, it's not easy to navigate. It's not. But, you know, you say there are some examples we can look at. Is Canada doing enough and what should we be doing differently? I mean, I think there are two sectors that definitely worth people's attention. One is actually about, I think there was a kind of, especially given, you know, all of the recent discussion around, you know, the potential threat of food supply. I don't think we have done enough exploration about, you know, developing you know, green agriculture sectors, mm-hmm. whether agriculture sector can provide a more kind of robust buffer for the economic basis. The second point is that what's the future relationship, right? If we're looking at the long term, right? So the renewable will definitely play a bigger role, right? So what's the best way to facilitate that? So a few days ago, we, we heard the news, right? So the, uh, the EU ban, you know, import of Russian oil, right? I mean, yes. it's not kind of a 
seat ban, there was this transition. But also very interesting with when passing that kind of EU legislation, they also, you know, kind of putting this kind of very clear message. They also want to, in the same time, to boost up their energy independence by investing heavily into solar and wind. I think that's also kind of send, send a signal yeah. to us, so, right? I think to some extent, right, we also need to explore that sector for its potential economic benefits, like, you know, how, what it would benefit local employment and whether it creates some, some kind of, again, like some of those buffers to help us when, you know, the, the market is not going doing that great. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion. Sibo, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us. Great, thanks. That is Sibo Chen, who is an assistant professor at the School of Professional Communication, Toronto Metropolitan University.